what I want to do is uh, I want to I speak to you on one question, one simple question uh, that relates to this season and the, the, the passages we have. In this. Don't, you, don't you read the story of Christmas and wish you had more details? I always do. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for what we have, but there's questions that I have, and we're going to talk about one of those questions today. But there probably is, is no question in, in most of our minds here that Christmas, the first Christmas, the birth of Christ, the first advent, believing the second advent, second coming, is coming. But there's probably no doubt that Jesus was not born on December 25th. It's most likely that it was somewhere in, in the, like the spring months or the end of winter as it moved into spring. We just, we just don't know. But the Bible's really clear on one thing, and that is that when Yeshua was born, when Jesus was born, there was a, a big surprise party that God threw. And different people were invited. There were songs that were sung as it began to roll with the announcement to Mary. She, it, it, it sounds like a song that she records. Mary's Magnificat, it's called. And Elizabeth seems to be singing as well. So there's songs and there's gifts that are given. There's special guests that are invited. The party lasted a long, long time. Of course, Mary and Joseph were excited about the birth of Jesus, but I, I am convinced that they had this moment. They had to when they're holding this newborn infant and they realize who he is. He's the son of God. There had to be a moment where Mary looked at Joseph and said, what do I do with this guy? How do you raise the son of God? He's, he's kind of a notch or two above us already because of who he is. But how do we pour into his life, and how do, how do you raise the, the Son of God? And they would learn, by the grace of God, how to do that. But the shepherds, you know the story. They were called to the birthday party, and angels were singing or shouting, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, shalom, peace to men on earth. And we're going to dive into that a little bit more tonight if the shepherd of Bethlehem shows up, if he doesn't get quarantined somewhere throughout the day. That's happening all over the place, but... And maybe there were others, too, that came running to hear this newborn baby's cry. Every woman knows the distinct sound of a brand new baby's cry. And if there was any of them in earshot of Jesus when he breathed in that first lung full of air and let out that first cry like we all did, there had to be a mama with an earshot that said, oh, my dear, that's, that's a newborn. And would have come running to meet the new baby. Every, every mama wants to meet, meet the next mama's little baby. And so there were all kinds of people. But there were late arrivers too. And whatever the party, there's always late arrivers. Could I please see the hands? I might, make, I might make you ask you to raise your hand more than one time in a response throughout the, the service. And you lose a quarter of a calorie every time you raise your hand. So if you want to lose some weight to get ready for all that Christ, those Christmas goodies... But what was I about to say? How many of you have ever been late for a party? Let me see the hands of the late comers. And you're late because, oh, I thought it started at 7.30, not 7. Or oh, I had to stop to get gas, which was really an excuse for, I forgot to buy you a gift, so I had to find something at 7-Eleven for you. But we're late for all kinds of, of different reasons. And so they were late. Those who were late that we're going to look at today, many scholars have reason to believe, and I, I really agree with the assumption that this group of magi we're going to look at this morning were two years late 
to celebrate the arrival of the King of Kings, the new king, the king of the Jews, the Magi, call them the Magi, the wise men, the kings in the song, we three kings, but they came from the east, possibly Persia, possibly what we would call today modern-day Iran, close to the region, somewhere in that region where Daniel had lived all of his adult life, having been carted off to Babylon as a, as a boy, and he would spend all the rest of his days there as a slave, as a servant of the courts of the king there, and as a prophet that spoke, and thank God those prophecies were recorded. They outlived him, and they still give us hope and insight today into what it will be like when Jesus Christ comes again in the second advent. But maybe the, these greatly respected ambassadors, these magi, had studied the prophecies of Daniel, and they were expecting, this Daniel, he knew things, God spoke to him. There was no question he was hearing from God. And so someday, the one that he's prophesying will come. We don't know. We don't know the backstory of, of why they were looking for the star and why they recognized that star that we're going to read about. But maybe they'd been studying the prophecies of Daniel. And when they saw his star in the east, they just saddled up the, the camels or whatever beast they rode off in. And where did they ride to first? Where, what was their, their first stop? as they came into what we would call the Holy Land. What city did they go to first? You can shout it out. Does Troy let you guys shout in church? But how, how many, anybody know, what city? Shout it out. Jerusalem. In other words, they went to the wrong city. Then it was logical. Because he thought he's the king of the Jews. He's got to be the son of the king of the Jews. So he must be the son of Herod. So we'll go knock on the castle door, the palace door, and we'll congratulate him for the birth of his newborn son who will one day be the king. And that was a disastrous choice. And you know why. We're not going to get into that part of the story today. But their logic led them to the wrong door. And it was a very bad move. God knew, that, knew what would happen after that with the massacre of all the little boys. Only the boys. Toddlers. Two years old all the way down to newborn infants. I, I am not one that believes that God masterminded that. I don't blame the evil things that men do on God. And I, God, God knew that it would happen. He absolutely knew that it would happen. But it happened because of a maniacal king on that throne. I can't for a moment think that God would say, you know, when my son is born into the world, God the Son we should have a bunch of toddlers and babies killed. There's no way that I can pin that on God. It was, a, it was a terrible, terrible thing that happened there. But when they came, these wealthy, wise men were loaded with, with all kinds of wonderful, expensive gifts that some of you hope are underneath your tree, right? Precious metals, ladies. Or essential oils, I don't know. That's basically what some of this was. But let's look at the story. Matthew chapter 2. First or second page of your New Testament. Turn there and follow along with me. We're just going to read the first 11 verses. I'll comment very lightly on it until we get to verse 11. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, 
he was troubled. Last five words of that verse, and all Jerusalem with him was troubled. All of Jerusalem. You know why? Because when Herod had a bad day, everyone had a bad day. When Herod was troubled, you better lock the doors because there will be trouble when Herod gets troubled. And so he was troubled in all of Jerusalem as they heard the news about these magi coming through town looking for the newborn king of the Jews. They said, lock the door and bolt the shutters. And it says this in verse 4, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Why didn't he know? Why did he, why, why did he talk to the priests and, and the spiritual leaders? Because he was not a spiritual leader. He was not a spiritually minded man. He wasn't a Bible reader. He didn't study the word of God. And so he said to those who did study the word of God, where will Christ come from? And it appears almost like they knew right away. It says, they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. There was another ruler that shepherd, shepherded God's people. Anybody remember who that was from Bethlehem? King David. It was a city of David. Well, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men. In other words, he's, he stepped aside from all of his attendants and all of his supervisors, his cabinet that served him. And he said, step into my Oval Office. Let's shut the doors. And he says to the wise men, big smile on his face. Can you just see it? It, it? Just like today, big pearly whites, just big old smile and a little cling on one of the corners of his bicuspid right there. And, and he says to them, I, I'm just picturing this like, oh, this is wonderful. You've come to tell us that our next king, the one who's going to replace me, has been born. And he says this, go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also with no intention. It was just what? Locate this child for me so I can kill him. And that's what he did to anybody that threatened his throne. And then it says this, verse 9, And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Why didn't they just keep following the star? Well, the story would be different, I know. But why didn't they just keep following the star as they passed by on the outskirts of Jerusalem saying, well, this is weird. We thought it would be Jerusalem. And they're going down the hill several miles to, to Bethlehem. But they didn't. So now they followed the star, and look at this. When they heard the king, they departed. Behold, the star which had, they'd seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Underline that. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Let me tell you what that didn't look like. Exceedingly great joy after a long, arduous journey from Persia to Israel with all the, all the difficulties of travel, travel you, you don't get first-class seating. There's no snack service on the way like there wasn't any snack service on American Airlines coming here. And if you don't keep your mask all the way up, you can't ride on American. I'm just telling you, you can't ride on American Airlines ever again, they said. But they'd had a much harder journey than, than I had getting here. And they finally get there. It's all over. The star has finally rested over the house where the young child is. And they have this exceedingly great joy. It didn't look like this. Oh, cool. 
they were exuberantly joyful that they'd found the one that they went forth searching for with great hope and in great faith. And look at verse 11. And when they had come into the house, not the cave, but the house, they saw the young child, not the baby, with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him. Let's say it together. You know them without looking. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And Father, I pray that you'd show us today how to give you what you call us to give to you as well. We thank you for the gift of your son. And it's with great joy, Lord, that we pause every year and celebrate that again in fresh ways. So teach us today from your word by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I have a question. It's a simple question. Serious question, too. What can I give him? You know the, the old drummer boy song, What Can I Give Him, Poor As I Am? If I Were a Shepherd, I'd Give Him a Lamb. Remember the, the drummer boy? <laughs> My gosh, can you imagine a drummer in the presence of a newborn baby? I'd say, do it out in the field. Stay out of the house with the drum. Let the baby sleep. But what can I give him? And then maybe a better way to put it is, what should I give him? I, I believe that the Magi, they don't just tell us what to give to Jesus. They tell us how we should give it to Jesus. They show us how to give to Christ. The Magi were remarkable. And I love this. I enunciated it when we read through it. They're, they're, not in, they're not in the cave or the barn or the shed or the stable or out under an olive tree on a hillside, which could have been, I've seen mangers, which is nothing more than a feeding trough. I've seen them out in the fields where the, the farmer will come and drop the grain or drop the feed into this, whether it's wooden or stone, it could have been anywhere, but they, they came into the house, and as I said, they were not looking at a baby any longer. It's, it, was a, it was a young boy, just a young child. And what they did, first of all, before they unpacked their gifts, is they fell on their faces, and they worshipped him. And I believe that if they hadn't done that, the other gifts would have just been stuff. They would have lost some of their significance. Whatever I give to God... If I'm not first a worshiper, not by that I don't mean a singer in the band or in the choir, but a person who lays their life down before God, you really have a hard time justifying a musical definition of the word worship if you just use the Bible. Rarely is there any connection between worship and music. Praise and music is a very different thing. But they worshiped him, and it didn't mean they laid down and, and sang a three-part harmony. They laid down and they worshipped him. It was a surrender of their life to God. This was no FedEx or Amazon Prime delivery. Are you, are you Joe? Are you married? Did you used to live in Nazareth? Well, here, this is coming from, from uh, Persia. Sign here on, oh, by the way, Merry Christmas. It was a very, they brought it in person. And what they did is laid their lives down before him. It was a powerful statement that they made. They were doing, in other words, exactly what they told Herod they were going to do when they got there. We've come to worship him, not just to visit him, not even just to bless him or deliver a couple of cool gifts. We, we from far away, have come to worship him. They hadn't come all that way to worship Herod, the old king. They'd come to worship the new king of the Jews. And so when they saw him, they fall down before him in worship. And we'll talk about the treasures in, in just a moment. But before they presented those things, they gave something so much more meaningful and so much more costly and so much more precious 
than, than the physical gifts. They gave themselves. They, they threw their lives right down at his feet. And something, I believe that's when, when salvation begins. When I give myself to God. In whatever, how many of you were in a really bad condition when you came to Christ? Anybody but me? I'm going to show this to you early. I shared it later in the other services. I got a bag of broken shells. Uh, they were so, it's signs of former life. Something lived in all of these shells. I was down in Florida, and I love walking in the morning really early, and I got out, and you got to get out there early if you're going to get the better shells anyway from the other shell hunters. But I got really early, and I, I just picked up all kinds of these. But do you know what this is? It's not just a bag of shells. This is a metaphor of what I'm looking at right here. This is a church. That's all we are is, is broken people that Jesus loves to gather as he walks along, quote, unquote, the shores of life. As he moves through our communities and our towns and our cities, he's always looking for the broken. Please, please don't be offended at this. Jesus is a trash picker. Jesus dumpster dives all the time because that's where he finds us. Because we're broken and we're discarded and we messed our lives up. He, he hasn't found a good one yet. I am going to carry, I think, this one. This is just a, a shard of a shell in my pocket for a long time. Picked it up down in Vero Beach. I'm going I'm to carry this in my pocket among my change and my keys for as long as I can remember to do that. As a reminder, every time I touch it, that he wanted me, that he took me. And I've got, a, I've got an idea for an art piece that I want to work on. I'm not much of an artist, so I'm going to need some help. But I'm going to gather as many of these things as I can and assemble them into some sort of a picture at refuge on the wall and let new people that come to refuge pick up a shard of a shell and, and glue it up to that same wall as a picture of what we are together. And I'll tell you one thing, it's going to be beautiful. <laughs> it's going to, and as God looks down at the real work of art that he's uh, he, he is painting and, and working on and crafting right now in Calvary Chapel of Lynchburg. It's beautiful to him when the broken lives he picks up respond to his call and allow themselves to be placed right where they need to be. Now, I've gone on too long on that, and we'll see what that does to our time frame and how soon I let you go to lunch just a little bit. But here's the thing. Salvation begins the moment that I surrender my life to Jesus. And that relationship, the genuine relationship, that moment begins when I'm his. And here's the deal. Rituals are just so much easier than relationship. Have you noticed that? It's easy to go through a relationship. I'll, I'll come in. I'll find a chair. I'll show up on time. And I hope the preacher ends on time. But I'll, and I'll, and I'll, I'll drop my coins in the box. And, and I'll even tithe and sometimes do a little bit more than tithe. But if it's, if, if it's just a ritual that doesn't rise out of a relationship with God, it's just empty. And it doesn't satisfy, and you know that that's true. Relationships are far more valuable than, than just coming together and reciting the same things. And beautiful songs today. Wasn't that beautiful? Gorgeous. I want to take a couple of those home with me. But it's easy to come and sing the songs. It's easy in a group of people to say, okay, it's a time. We're going to say the, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Or maybe, oh, wait a minute, what group am I in? Hallowed be thy name. Oh, wait a minute, are we, are we on a, am I in a trespass church or a debt church or a sin church here? <laughs> You're safe in all of them, but I got to know how to say it. But don't settle for that. Don't just settle for the ritual. Let's become 
that living sacrifice where a relationship with God day by day is established. And it's so, so much more satisfying. Not always easy. So what did they give Jesus? Let's get to that. Start by giving you. But then what came after that? Out of these three things we're going to look at, kind of unfold something that I think can really direct us in answer to this question. What should I be bringing Jesus now? To begin with, it was the gold. They brought him the gold. You know what the gold speaks of? The gold recognized that they had a king. There was a king in their presence. They were magis, not kings. They were officials of a foreign government. They were not kings. And so they recognized this is a king. And when you're in the presence of a king, you bow because he's in charge. He's a sovereign. And I need to bring Jesus. If I'm serious about really worshiping him and honoring him, I need to start by recognizing he's king and I'm not king. I am not the sovereign. He's the one that's in charge. In, in all the, the mysterious you know, Middle Eastern cultures and everything, they all had one thing in common. Gold was the currency. Gold is what they built their economies on. And the king was in charge of the gold. So when you presented gold to a king you were, or to a person, you were recognizing you are royal and you're in charge. The point of that gift was simply to acknowledge that Jesus was the king. And I... I yeah, I, th- I can think of all kinds of songs and, and choruses and poetry that talks about crowning Jesus as your king and recognize that. None of us in here, have you ever heard anybody say this? Uh, no, I bow to no one. I bow my knee to no man. Have you ever heard that? Maybe you've even felt that yourself. Nobody tell, oh, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's like a five-year-old. No, you're t- saying right back to dad, you're not the boss of me. Oh, that's a dangerous thing for a five-year-old to say to dad. He is your king for a while. He is in charge. But the person who says, I bow to no one, hasn't really looked around much. The world that they live in. Did you create yourself, you who bow to no one? Did you fling the 100,000 million stars just in the Milky Way alone into place? Did, Did you do that? Do you keep the systems of the world that run like clockwork, giving you fresh water and fresh air until we pollute those things? To breathe? Did you do that? And if the answer to that is no, then there's, there is one to whom you owe allegiance, and that's God. And he deserves your gold that you would lay down before him. When you say, God, you are my king. Christ, you are the king of what? The king of all kings. Crown him with that gold. Secondly is a frankincense. It's a very different thing. With the gold, they, their worship had only begun. And now... With the frankincense and then with the myrrh, it moves to a very interesting place. Frankincense makes a profound statement. Frankincense was really essentially like the essential oils of today. It was a resin that came from the Boswellia tree, the Boswellia Sacra tree, which was in Saudi Arabia. And it was one of the four ingredients, only four ingredients went into the incense that was used in the worship in the tabernacle and then when the temple was built. You couldn't make up your own recipe for that for that incense. It was holy incense and it was never to be used just in your own home. That incense with, with frankincense as one of the ingredients had a very simple but a profound use. There, were, there was a, a, an altar, a flat altar about, oh, about 18 inches by 18 inches that stood right before the Holy of Holies. 
And the first thing that a priest would do if it was his charge in the morning when he would step into the tabernacle or then the temple in Solomon's day, there would be an animal that would be offered on the altar, the sacrifice of the day, the morning sacrifice. There would be a last offering in the evening, the evening sacrifice. Then he would go in to the table of, uh, of incense. He'd take two hands full of the incense powder and he would drop it on top of the incense that was still smoldering from what had been put on that same altar the evening before, before they, so to speak, locked the doors and went home for the night. And the incense would go up all day long and all night long. It was never, ever to stop. And then there were lamps that were to be kept burning as well. But we know in Scripture, in the New Testament as well, that the incense speaks of, who knows? Anybody? The prayers of the people. The praise of the people. And I think this is one of the most precious aspects of, of that incense. The intercession of us, his people, for other people. Do you know how powerful that is to God? you know what a sweet sacrifice that is to God? Oh, I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but there is a woman in heaven that I cannot wait to throw my arms around when she had every right in the world to hate my family. She prayed us all into the kingdom of God. Through shed tears and a broken heart. She prayed us into heaven. And I got to talk to her before she passed away. And I, I, I get started on that. We'll be here until three. And I, you have things to do today. Christmas trees to decorate and all of that. But when, when I lift up my intercession for, for, for David and for Luke and the others in, in your congregation... For a young woman in, in, in our fellowship, Bree, 23 years old, just went through a double mastectomy, months of chemo, more treatment coming and reconstruction and all that. She is one of the, the most brightest countenances you have ever, ever seen. And when I lift up my prayer for her, Jesus loves that when you step into the gap for somebody else. So give him incense. Give him your praise. Lift up your petitions, your intercession. For Oh, and by the way, just, just like the woman I mentioned, including your enemies. Including your enemies. God loves that. It's so precious to him. When you give him your gold of allegiance and when you, you give him your frankincense of, of that kind of worship and praise, let the prayers of the people of God rise. In Psalm 141, King David sang this, let my prayer be set before you as incense and my lifted hands as the evening sacrifices. With my gold, I say you're king and you're ruler. You're worthy of my surrender, my allegiance. And with my frankincense, I say you are my God and I will praise you. And you're worthy of my praise. Amen. He is worthy of all of our praise. And may our lives be filled with that sweet aroma of frankincense rising to God in our song. Yes, in our song, our, our praises and the open conversation of prayer and praise and adoration. I want to encourage you in, in this thing of offering up our, our praises and our prayers to God. Never, ever hang up on God. Not that he's chattering all day long. Not that you need to chatter all day long. I look at prayer like this. I know there's special times. We get together before service. We gather. We pray, oh, God bless this moment. And we pray over our meals. And you have, how many of you have a prayer partner in, in your life that you get together with from time to time? You actually gather together. That's important. But I look at prayer as an open conversation where I get up in the morning and I say, Lord, good morning. 
And then in the evening, I say, Lord, good night in so many words. And throughout the day, we've got this conversation that goes on and, and it goes back and forth. Have you ever been, been you know, ha- having a conversation with somebody on your, on your cell phone? You say, okay, God bless you, man. Hey, I'll see you later. And you thought you hung up, but you didn't hang up. And you didn't hear them saying, hey, Bill, you forgot to hang up. And then you finally you hear this voice and you think it, it's not the voice of God. He wouldn't sound like that, but... And maybe they, you'd never heard it, but two days later they said, you know, you didn't hang up after you called me, and I heard everything you said to that bank teller. I heard all of that. Never hang up on God. Keep the conversation going. And you're giving him that frankincense. May our, may our sacrifice of praise never cease to him. The last thing is this, myrrh. I think it's one of the most precious of these three. Myrrh would, you know, gold, let me, let me say this, the gold would certainly come in handy because they were about to leave on a midnight trip for a foreign country and they would need the cash. And the frankincense would make Mary's home just smell wonderful. It really would. But the myrrh is very different. It has a somber note to it. It adds a real serious feel to this, this whole gift exchange thing that's going on. Sweet, um, the sweetness of the myrrh was also used for something medicinal. In, in, the, in the world of Jesus' time, it was applied to ease pain. Topically, it was applied to a wound to ease the pain. If we lived in Jesus' day, David and Luke might have been anointed with myrrh for their wounds. But it, 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 it said something prophetic, and we know that. That it, that it would speak about the pain that Jesus would go through, the sadness he would go through in redeeming us. Do you remember the scene when Simeon shows up on the Temple Mount when Joseph and Mary are bringing Jesus in for dedication? And he's been told, you, you're going to stay alive, buddy, until you see the Christ for yourself. And I wonder if he got careless after he got that promise. He said, I am invincible. I can go anywhere I want. and I can cross the street quickly. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm invincible, indestructible. I doubt it. But when he saw Jesus and he somehow knew this is the one, he went up and he said some beautiful things to them. And then look at it carefully. He speaks to Mary only when he says, and a sword will pierce your soul. Sadness was in her future. And you see her at the cross as she watches her boy die for her and for the sins of the whole world. There was a sadness there. But here, and I want to close with this. How do I then bring myrrh to God? Has anybody here ever gone through something sad? Or do you at all resemble something like this? Do you have chunks that have been taken out of you? Are there wounds in your heart, your soul, your body, your life? Stories that you wish were not part of your biography? You bring those to Jesus. Why would I do that? Because he said, cast your cares upon me. Because he said, you know this one, don't you? He said, come unto me. Can you finish it with me? All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. If you, don't, if you don't relate to the phrase heavy laden, you have not lived long enough. Because there will be days when you will be heavy laden. And you will be burdened. And you will be sad. Days when you won't even understand why you are. Other days you will. You'll look back at what you did and say, why did I do that? And you'll feel like you could never get over it. And Jesus specifically, explicitly told us, bring that stuff to me. I want that stuff. Why would he want that stuff? 
Why would he want our brokenness? Why, why would he want us to bring our sins to, us, to him so he could forgive us? Why would he want me to bring his, my burdens to him <clears throat> so he could bear them with me? He's the sin bearer. He's the burden bearer. He's the one that comforts us in our sorrows. We've, most of us in this room have shed tears. There are some that haven't, and maybe they don't even have the tear ducts. I know that's, that's a condition that some people have. They cannot cry, but they can still feel the burdens and the sadness. So Jesus, I believe he says to us, bring me your myrrh. See, this is, the, bringing the myrrh says this to the Lord when I come to him with all of this stuff that's going on in my life in the midst of the pain and the suffering and the doubts as I bring it to him I say I will still bow and I will still worship you in spite of the pain it is still well with my soul because you are still my king and you are still my God I'll keep bringing my gold and I'll keep lifting up my frankincense to you and I'll keep bringing this myrrh to you and every burden that I have, it will still come to you though the earth be moved, the scripture says. Be cast into the sea. I love this. In, in Psalm 46, it says, there is a river. Though the nations rage, there's still a river which streams make glad the people of God, the city of our God. And I'll find my way to that river with the bag of shells that I get to do life with in, in, in California, in Huntington Beach. And you've done that today. You've brought your sadness and your burdens to Jesus. And it was a wonderful thing, beautiful thing, to watch that being lifted up together right now. So Jesus says, bring that to me. And you know what, you know what you're going to experience, though you won't see it? When you find yourself, and some of you understand, and maybe very recently, you find yourself on the floor, maybe weeping your eyes out, not even strong enough to get up. And you know what you're gonna, you know what's gonna happen at that moment? Wounded hands are gonna reach down and begin to lift you. And maybe before they lift you, they'll just hold you. And he will be the lifter of your head. He'll be the restorer of the vision of your life. He'll be the one that will say, yeah, yeah, that was bad, but wait till you see what I make out of all the broken bits of your life. It will be assembled into a work of art. And I'm, I'm on the verge of going into another sermon, so I'm going to stop right there. You know where that goes because you're living that at this point right now. But just give Jesus what he asked for you to give him. When we worship him, even while in pain and doubt and sorrow and questions that remain, we're offering the most precious worship of all. We really are. As we say, oh, it is well with my soul in your hands. So give him what he asked for. Come to him with all of that and rest in him. I, I'm going to close with this. Uh, I'll ask the band to come back up. Uh, I can't wait to sing the song they're about to sing. We've sung it twice this morning, and I'm going to wail on this song. It's a beautiful, one of the most beautiful Christmas songs ever. I wrote a song, a Christmas song, years ago. I'll have some CDs with that tonight. Um, after the shepherd. But I called the song, For This the Child Has Come. And somebody needs to hear this today. I'm going to acapella it, so be gracious to me. To shepherds waiting in the dark And wise men traveling from afar To see a king beneath a star For you this child has come That was then, this is now. For every hungry heart like mine that ever seeks but never finds 
peace to still our troubled minds. For us this child has come. In manger there upon the straw, a perfect son without one flaw. And heaven and earth now stand in awe, the promised child has come. For every soul that cannot feel, and frozen hearts as cold as steel, from ancient wounds that will not heal, for you this child has come. And Father, I pray right now for somebody here, Lord, I feel so strongly impressed or somebody, and maybe more than one, that, that relates to those ancient wounds that just will not heal. And God, I pray you'd put your hand upon that, Lord, and you would carry that burden with them, and you would redeem it, Lord, and you would turn that trash into a treasure, Lord, a point at which their life can be stretched out to other people in the same kind of brokenness. But, oh, Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you, Father God, for looking down and seeing our brokenness and hearing our cries, Lord, and knowing our troubles, our deepest trouble of sin, and sending your Son to cover the penalty of our sin and giving us life, Lord. And we want to give you our gold of allegiance to you as our King. And we want to lift up our frankincense to you, Lord, and praise you and pray, Lord, for all whatever you lead us into, God, and to intercede for others. And Lord, we will bring you the myrrh of the burdens and the brokenness and put it in your hands and watch what you make of it. Bless this wonderful fellowship, Father, in this season to be a great, great ministry into this city in this time in Jesus' strong name. And everybody said, amen.